You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Now, my final guest this evening joined us on the programme last year. Charlotte Pike is a food and drink expert with over a decade of experience. Her portfolio career includes writing, teaching, broadcasting and consulting. And Charlotte is also a professionally trained chef, highly experienced executive chef tutor and has written several award-winning cookery books. And tonight we're going to talk in detail about the intricacies involved. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Charlotte, welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. The last time we talked was back in March last year um, and we heard all about you and your background and your training and your cookbooks and everything and I suppose it's it's worth reminding listeners that you're very au fait with Irish food writing because you are a judge for the Irish Food Writing Awards and in fact you judge two categories. That's right yeah thanks for having me back Sharon it's lovely to be talking to you again yes two categories this year. And um, wasn't it an amazing celebration of all things to do with Irish food and drink writing? It was really, really special and privileged to judge two categories. The quality of the work was just exceptional. It was not an easy job. <laughs> and look, talking about quality of work, you yourself, you've had a number of cookbooks published, which and you do cookbook writing and you're a member of the UK uh, Food Guild. So you are very experienced whenever it comes to great quality food and drink writing? Well cookbooks have been at the sort of heart of my career since 2011 I think it was when I got my first book deal and you know whether that's writing them myself or for other people you know collaborating or contributing to books or indeed writing them on behalf of other people you know judging them or chairing the UK's Guild of Food Writers I have been involved in cookbooks in lots of different ways for a number of years and I'm very fortunate that my books have um, done really well in Ireland as well and I've had a really wonderful response from my um, Irish readers to the books I've published which I always am extremely grateful for which has been an absolute privilege. There is a lot of work goes into writing a cookbook that I think people don't don't necessarily appreciate until they've maybe gone down that road themselves I do find occasionally that I come across a food producer or a restaurateur and they'd love to do a book and in order to do that one you need a number of good quality recipes but you also need the recipes to be written in a certain format and they also have to be tested because Definitely, I have come across people who love certain cookbook writers because their recipes work. And I think there is an expectation amongst the general public that recipes do automatically work. We kind of take it for granted. And then if we're not an experienced cook, we cook something out of a cookbook. It goes wrong. I certainly used to blame myself, not the recipe. Absolutely. There is so much work involved in producing a good book, Sharon. You've identified so many important things there. I mean, I'm just in the middle of a project at the moment and I'm cooking maybe 10, 12 recipes a day, every single day. Um, There's a huge amount of work in there, not only coming up with the concept, but actually delivering really great recipes. 
personally, I make sure that my recipes are tested three times independently. So I have a team of people who test recipes for me. So you've identified correctly, you know, people want a recipe to work, but not every recipe does. And I personally think it's so imperative to deliver a really reliable result for the reader who's going to invest time in buying, reading the book and money on ingredients. So that's really important. So I test my recipes until I'm happy with them. And then I have a team of about 100 people who test for me. So I send each recipe to people in my team so that it's triple tested by people with different levels of experience in different kitchens. So I have a sort of professional test kitchen at home. And I'm very aware that my setup is quite different for the people. So, you know, that's a really important part of the process. Um, getting that bit right. I mean, cookbooks are so important. You know, people love cookbooks. It's such a desirable, they, they are a really desirable book. They sell really well. It's one of those categories that's holding up really well in terms of print media. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, lots of businesses also want to do a book. But, you know, that's really interesting. I work with quite a few businesses who want to produce books and they need some help from a professional food writer to sort of translate their ideas into a book that works. Because just because you can cook doesn't necessarily mean you can write a great recipe that will be really reliable. So there is so much that's going on behind the scenes. I'm I sat here now, as I say, I'm in the middle of a project at the moment. I've got my notebook and every single, this this is sort of, this is by my side every waking moment, every single measurement change, everything I make is recorded in that book to make sure that I capture everything um, at the start of the process. So it's really, really great fun, but so much work goes into it. And expense as well, if you think about testing the recipe yourself and buying all of those ingredients, and then whenever you ask your, your testers to do it as well, the amount of time, effort and money that goes into that, it, it is pretty significant. It is. And I think it's really important to get right. But funny enough, I was, um, I've been working all weekend and I was going through my receipts. I've spent about £800 in the last uh, week and a half on ingredients just for testing. So you do have to make that investment in the ingredients. But that investment will deliver for the readers. So it's so important that um, that, that isn't sort of a step that is missed or compromised in any way. But I can see why it would be tempting to take a shortcut. When you got your first book deal, it kind of came about because you looked at the cookbook that you really like. And we can all do that to benchmark if we if we want to do a recipe that we're going to publish on a blog even for example or to to share in a restaurant that if you go and look at any of the, the the really good quality cookbooks to see the format so for example the ingredients there's a format or an order that you should lay the ingredients out in if you are doing up a recipe to share with others yeah that's absolutely right yeah that's that format it's it's really important um they should be listed in the order in which they're used so um you know it's very easy to look at a recipe and you'll think you, you look at the first ingredient but you don't need it until later on so it's really really important and of course um that and the, the method are copyright as well so they need to be completely unique and original to you so that is a really important thing to get right and uh yeah it's um you know in terms of getting you know, working on that, you need to think about your concept and what you're going to deliver because lots of people do want to um, 
want to write a cookbook, but that needs very, very careful thought before launching into a project. There's another podcast out in, in Ireland now. It's two Irish chefs. It's called Dishing It Out. It's Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins that are the hosts of it. And they have a cookbook corner section in it. So the, the podcast starts off with the two chefs talking about the, a favourite gadget of the week that each of them have. Then they have a guest and they talk about all sorts of things with the guest, food and non-food things. And then the guest finishes off that they've brought in a cookbook that they really love and they explain why they love it and the, and the dishes out of it that they maybe make on a regular basis. If you had to, to select a couple of your favourite cookbooks, and obviously your own cookbooks would very much be in that category, but we'll leave them to one side. What other cookbooks do you really love that that are nearly like your go-to cookbooks? Oh my gosh, Sharon, that is actually quite a difficult question. I have got thousands of cookbooks. <laughs> I can see behind uh, you that there's a whole wall of them there. This is the tidy section. There is a sort of <laughs> avalanche section in another room and then that I have thousands. So um, there are the sort of classics. There are the new books that come in where you know they're going to be a real classic. I mean, I've got a few in front of me here. You know, Ballymaloo Desserts, for example. Uh, by J.R. Ryle is amazing. Um, Joy of Food by Rory O'Connell. Those are quite new books that I think are really destined to become classics. Jeremy Lee's Cooking is absolutely sensational. You know, when you mentioned, you know, um, a moment ago about chefs and restaurants writing books, I think um, for me, Paul Flynn's Butterboy and Jeremy, Jeremy Lee's Cooking are two books that have come from chefs who are just it is just, in my view, absolute perfection what they've managed to do, you know, bring together a collection of their recipes and just such gorgeous, gorgeous writing. They are two new books that I think are just amazing. I think they're pretty much work of perfection on their own. They kind of almost don't need to write another book. They are just so good. Um you know, I've got other books here, like I've got Cafe Paradiso, the first one by uh, Dennis Cotter. That's brilliant. I mean, his new Paradiso book by Nine Bean Rose is just amazing that was another winner at the irish food awards and food writing awards and that was i think that's a brilliant book um there are so many uh i've got actually i'm cooking a lot from this book here at the moment this is um paula mcintyre's book from uh, uh northern ireland that is amazing the recipes in that are absolutely wonderful um so they'd be a few that i i i really really like and then there are these books that i keep coming back to for ideas for supper one pot feeds all by Jarena allen for example that's a great book for every day everyday ideas meat free mexican by thomasina myers is one i'm loving at the moment so really really broad and i've been judging awards at the moment it is food writing judging season at the moment and i am getting ridiculous deliveries of books you know like 150 books coming to the door wow post like groaning you know get about eight hardback cookbooks a day um so my massive collection is ever expanding <laughs> but there's always something new to discover um and there are those books that you know you sort of flip through and you pick out some good ideas you think i'm going to come back to those and then there are the other books that you just sort of sit down and devour one of those is the secret of cooking by b wilson which is a new book and that's absolutely brilliant i just um I actually sat down and read the whole thing. It may be a cookbook, but the writing is so good. I could just read it from cover to cover. 
spent a day on that and thoroughly enjoyed it. So, I mean, there are rich pickings and uh, there are so many books of 2024 that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing come out. And you and you mentioned something there that you say, like, they'll always be real classic cookbooks. Do you see any trends in cookbooks whenever, you, you know, you're, you're ideally placed to comment on, you've got this vast array of them in front of you that you have to judge. Is there any common themes there or is there anything really new for 2024 that we need to be keeping our eyes out for? Well, I think some of those sort of um, memoir books, those sort of real landmark books are always really special. And when people um, put those together, they are books to really, I think, um, pay very close attention so I'll be really looking forward to seeing um, what's coming out this year in that regard I mentioned Paul Flynn's book before I think that is really really exceptional there are obviously trends in terms of health um, that is um, an area that people are constantly looking at um, but quick cooking and sort of taking some of the hard work out of cooking um, is a theme that we see time and time again I mentioned uh, Darina's book, one one um one um pan, one pot feed, feeds all. Um, it's one pot feeds all. Yes, um, that is a really good book for just sort of simplifying everyday meals, and I think that is a trend that we're seeing a lot. Whether it's using an air fryer or different um different um pieces of technology to try and uh, make life easier, those that is a sort of perpetual theme that we're going to see um time and time again. So I think. Uh, you know, everyone is busy and, you know, it is a challenge to put food on the table for, for many busy households. So that's something that, you know, we are going to see. So those and the specialist um, pieces of equipment, I think, are going to be trends that will hold up in 2024. Yeah, the air fryer is really taking the world by storm, it has to be said. Do you know, I've just had a another one um, delivered I'm going to Ted and um, I I was a bit sort of mm, a bit on the fence uh, regarding the air fryer but uh, I was actually um, away recently and I wasn't very well and I was on my own and, and I had an air fryer and actually it was so brilliant for just really easy reheating recooking things and actually that um, because my circumstances changed I really did sort of appreciate it a lot more so I'm looking forward to testing testing that a bit further Further, but that's one trend that's just gone absolutely mad hasn't it it's been so successful yeah absolutely and then the other thing about cookbooks is if I go back to my childhood you opened a cookbook it listed the ingredients and then there was a method you were lucky to get a photograph of what it was meant to look like because I actually remember being in London with an uncle one time and him saying about this cookbook that he had and it had pictures in it. So you knew how the dish was supposed to look. Now that's a long time ago. But even the way it's progressed from the recipe, the method, then a photograph was at, then maybe a couple of lines about the dish because like the first cookbooks that I ever would have had that were bought for me, gifted to me, would be the Delia Smith how to cook part one and part two, which I still have. Now I have moved on a lot of other cookery books into the charity shop because I just don't have room for them all and I don't look at them all. Um, but it definitely was one that started to progress with a few photographs, maybe a couple of comments from um, Delia. 
But now as you say, the likes of Paul Flynn's book, there's the picture, there's the recipe with the, the list of ingredients, the method, but also a few, a good few quirky stories that really reveal the personality of the person that's writing the cookbook. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, that book um, really is sort of, um, you know, almost like a partial memoir in a way, isn't it? It really captures a snapshot of that time and that place in Paul's life. And, you know, the stories are wonderful when they're in the right place. Not everyone will want. It's sort of like an autobiographical kind of cookbook, if you like, when the stories are involved. And that can be really, really lovely. But... You mentioned the photos. That is a huge trend. And, you know, I, I've seen that explode in popularity. I mean, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because most uh, high budget cookbooks now have a lot of photos. And the general trend is that there are a lot of photos and they look beautiful and they're quite glossy productions. The, there aren't really that many books as a percentage that are published now when they just are text only or maybe text with some illustrations. I mean, the, the Ballymaloo bread book that came out recently, for example, that was really interesting because that was illustrated, which is actually quite unusual. But, um, you know, we've we've become a lot more visual as a culture as well. If you look at Instagram and the way that food is is shared in the media and that translates to cookbooks as well. And it's really interesting how the food photography industry has just boomed at food styling and the trends that have evolved through that. Um, it was so interesting looking at the the fashions that change throughout the time so you know if you look back at some 80s and 90s cookbooks a lot of that is actually was staged and the food that was featured in those photographs wasn't actually edible so you know they'd use all sorts of you know anything from sort of the hardware store or the you know chemical cupboard or something to to actually make it look appetizing you know you sort of put um uh fence varnish on food to make it look brown, for example, that is actually a real um, a real thing that was done. Whereas now it's, it is cooked from scratch and presented really quickly. So I always try and go to shoot days for my books. And on those days, there's about eight people in as part of the team working on it. So it's a massive industry and you can see why it costs a lot of money to produce it. But there's, you know, photographers, food stylists, prop stylists, and then what they'll actually do, which is, I think, quite useful, is they will take your actual recipe that you've written and cook it there and then photograph it immediately. So it's all sequenced um, very, very quickly. So it's photographed when it's really fresh. But also it's quite a good way of also sort of testing the recipes again and making sure that they are completely accurate because, you know, there's nothing more annoying than looking at a photo and then the food that you've produced and the two don't correlate now most people can't make their food look as beautiful when you're doing it at home and it you know you're in a rush and what have you but it still is sort of true to the recipe and it's not this sort of unattainable ideal so that's something that i think is um is, has really really evolved and actually if you look at complaints from readers now if you look at the if you brave the uh, comments on uh, amazon and the review websites you know people readers unfortunately do complain if if there isn't an accompanying photo for a recipe now so it is something that that readers really want wherever possible and of course with social media people are able to vent that um dislike of a particular book or if, if something hasn't worked for them as well and that means that the cookbook writers are are more accessible also because of social media very um, true. To come back about the illustrations, we should highlight that Kristen Jensen's series of Blofta books 
are all illustrations as opposed to photographs because that does make the whole process quicker but also more cost effective and of course the Bloster books are kind of like an entry level cookbooks it's nearly like the author's first time in most cases doing a cookbook which will hopefully lead on to more cookbooks the other thing I was going to say about cookbooks, I think sometimes when somebody says, God, have you seen this cookbook by a particular person and they have a restaurant in another part of the world, it's nearly like a marketing tool where if you love the cookbook, then you want to go to that restaurant because of the cookbook. Very true. Very true. And talking about uh, Blaster quickly, I mean, what... Kristen has done there is just leading the way for the publishing industry. It is absolutely exceptional. And those illustrations um, by Nikki are just absolutely amazing. And 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 because it's a series, it creates that lovely sort of family feel. And I think Kristen really deserves a lot of praise for actually commissioning people who have so many great things to say and have amazing knowledge and experience to share but just wouldn't get a look in in traditional publishing routes so she absolutely deserves so much praise for that I think it's absolutely um inspirational but um yeah it, it's so interesting isn't it I think uh, you know actually one of the first books I got um from an establishment was actually I was given when I was at university the Evoca cookbook Oh, wow, that was pretty really ambitious, so it was. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those sort of, I think, really um, quite an iconic Irish cookbook, certainly someone who, you know, who um, out of Ireland. And I remember being really, really, I love those recipes. They're so good. Um, and I used to cook from that book and I thought I am going to go there one day. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's amazing how it can be quite, you know, a marketing tool and actually sort of transport you as well. Yeah, I'd say your fellow students, your your housemates were delighted to have you in the house cooking from the Avoca cookbook. You must have really um cooked up a storm for them. Yeah. And and like, you know, a couple of your initial cookbooks were student focused. Yeah. Um, and look, as I often say on the show here, cooking is a life skill. And unfortunately, a lot of young people do leave home with the toasted sandwich maker, if, if they're lucky. And, and that's what they live on for those few years at, um, at at college. So if anybody has somebody heading to college later on this year, definitely look up Charlotte's Hungry Student Cookbook and the vegetarian version as well, because I'd say they're great resources for students to have. And I'd say you still get feedback about those books. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, they were actually 10 years old this um, this summer. And I was commissioned to write them as a relatively recent graduate who just loved cooking. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, it was a different, you know, quite some some years ago now. But, you know, I was living off, te you know, £10 budget a week and, you know, eating really well, cooking good food from scratch. And so it was a real pleasure to write those books. And they've gone into many languages all around the world. In fact, I had to get rid of my shelf. I've got my foreign language shelf I run out of space but all the different foreign language editions of my books which is amazing I think I'm in about 17 different languages around the world um but they've done really well and what's so nice is it's just not just students um you know I get um, letters from people who um you know for example older people who are on their own maybe find themselves in changed circumstances or families going camping or children cooking from them and you know it just shows that there's a place for you know simple and uncomplicated 
recipes and you know for me I'm just passionate about getting people to cook good food from scratch at home every day and that's what recipe writing is all about in my book. There's amazing longevity with that student cookbook which is something that people should really consider whenever they have an idea and they and they want to turn it into a book. Absolutely. I, I'm very lucky with that because there's a renewing market every year as well. <laughs> um, so that's that's been great. And it's lovely to hear from students who are cooking from it every year. But you're absolutely right. You do need to think about the longevity and the audience when coming up with a book. And you talked earlier about businesses who want to write a book. And I work with many who are on, on, producing, on producing them. But, you know, it, it does need a lot of thought in terms of why writing, why to write a book and what the purpose is going to be. Um, and, you know, what's its place in the market going to be and who's going to buy it? So I think um, anything that has that um, sort of longevity is, is only going to be a good thing. Absolutely. So are there any books that we need to keep our eyes out for that we're going to see in the bookshops this year that you can tell us about? Oh, goodness me. Well, I um, there are some really exciting books that are coming up. And uh, annoyingly, I, there are a few of them that I can't mention, but I know it's going to be a really exciting year for cookbooks. And the, the material I can tell you that's coming up by Ireland is so exciting. Um, I really think it's going to be a bumpy year. And, uh, you know, there's also a lot of really recent books as well from 2023 that are absolutely exceptional. They are books that are really um holding a special place on my shelves and I think they are destined to be classics you know we've mentioned some of them already you know um actually quite a lot of them are from Blaster or Nine Bean Rose for example I mean it's amazing Irish publishing that are doing exceptional exceptional work so there are a number of books and I think it's going to be a really exciting year so um yeah watch this space and you obviously made the point at the start of the interview about print media and cookbooks are going nowhere whenever it comes to print media, unlike maybe the newspapers and the magazines that we can look at online. Cookbooks are very much something that people want to have a physical format. Very much so. And I mean, you know, book cookbooks do vary in terms of the number of copies they shift. You know, some, um, you know, it is a small percentage, but some do phenomenally well and actually if you look at the best selling books out of all non-fiction books and indeed all books in general there are cookbooks that sell in those kind of numbers they are really really popular but I think what's so interesting is we've seen the change in format and again coming back to blaster books for example that sort of um lower cost but high quality content and production values is so interesting because there are those sort of landmark books I mean that you know the really glossy expensive books but you know you're looking at maybe 40 pounds or something for some of those over here which is a lot of money and I think there is quality at all price points as well um, particularly in Ireland so I think that's really really exciting to see that there is something for um different different um price points and different markets as well which is exciting and finally then what i always say to somebody is if they do find a cookbook that they really like read the acknowledgements read the bits at the start there's so much information there in terms of the the team and, and the individuals that are involved in putting the cookbook together couldn't agree more in fact that's the first bit i always look at 
I always skip to the acknowledgements because it's always so interesting. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, taking time to read it and read the recipe before you start as well. Very basic advice, but, uh, you know, you won't go wrong if you've fully read it before launching in. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, Charlotte, great to chat to you um, about the cookbooks. We'll have to bring you on later on in the year whenever you can talk about those ones that you're working on at the moment. So until then, thank you so much for joining us. And if anyone wants to find out more, my website is charlottepike.co.uk. You can subscribe to my weekly newsletter there and find me on social media, which is at Charlotte Pike Food. Thank you for having me, Sharon. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks again, Charlotte. Well, take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.